Hello, everybody. This is Objective Religion, a podcast produced in partnership with Baylor University's Institute for Studies of Religion. I'm Dr. Frank Newport, sociologist and Gallup senior scientist. And I'm Reverend A. Brantam, Presbyterian minister and campus minister at the University of Illinois. And I'm Michael Lambert, a Baylor ISR producer. And we welcome you. We are now just about a week before the election. We've come to this now. As we're recording this on Monday, it's uh, eight days before the election. As you're listening to this, it's seven days or less before the election. So, Nate, a lot to talk about. It's heating up, and we're coming into the final stretch. Many people have already voted, but Mm -hmm. we've uh, got a lot of skin in the game at this point. Yeah, we're going to talk about where the election stands right now. We're going to have an interesting quiz question. We're going to talk about uh, three events that occurred over the last week in the news relating to religion and the election that I think listeners will be very interested in. And we're going to look in depth at uh, religious segments in this country today, how they are manifesting their religious beliefs into policy and politics and how they're likely to vote when the dust settles after the election next week. It'll be interesting to see where they're in alignment and where they are different. So Mm -hmm. looking forward to that. But first, our quiz. This is a two-part question. Number one, how many U.S. presidents throughout history have had no formal religious affiliation or identity? And part two, what are the two most common religions of U.S. presidents? Uh Aha, a two-parter. All right. We'll come back and answer that uh, at the end of the uh, podcast segment. Where do we stand, Nate? What are you hearing? I'm hearing that the, it depends where you're looking for and, and who's saying it, but it does look like Biden's still commanding a, a pretty solid lead at this point. What do you see in the polls? Yeah, I've been studying them very carefully, as is my want, because that is my business. Some people thought that the debate which was held in Nashville last Thursday might have made a difference. Uh, I've been analyzing the polling that we've had since then. I don't see any diminution in Biden's lead at this point. Uh, He is ahead by anywhere from 8 to 10 points in the national polling. And again, we said this last week, but I want to reiterate, if a candidate is, I would say, five or more points ahead in the national popular vote polling, it is very unlikely that that candidate would lose the Electoral College. So I think that's one reason why it is important for us to look at that national uh, popular vote polling uh, as we do each week. However, there are uh, individuals and websites and organizations that try to predict the Electoral College based on state polling. And the two that I look at, put out by The Economist and put out by 538, a compilation, a statistical website, and both have actually increased their odds that Biden will win, even as we speak. We have an 88% probability Uh, from one of those, 538, that Biden will win the Electoral College. And now we're all the way up to a 95% probability in the Economist website that Biden will win the Electoral College. Nate, I always caveat this. Uh, Back in 2016, these same types of forecasting models also, not quite as high as now, clearly, but had a pretty high probability that Hillary Clinton would win. So we have to be cautious. Everybody's being cautious here in 2020, but all the indicators that I look at based on public opinion polling certainly suggest that a week out, Biden is in a position to win the election. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the major things that happened in the week. Uh, We had had three things that we identified as worthy of note. The Mm -hmm. first is, and you mentioned it, the final debate. Yeah, I watched it all, Nate. It was at Belmont University in Nashville and saw no discussion of religion whatsoever from either candidate. Which is a little surprising. We've been talking about the abortion issue. We've been talking about the Catholic vote. We've been talking about how important these things are and uh, didn't come up. 
Yeah, uh, abortion clearly is kind of a window into religion in these debates. Abortion and therefore religion came up in the vice presidential debate between Pence and Harris, but we didn't have abortion come up at all in the final presidential debate and no mention of religion. So that's what happened on that front. Second, the Pope. Interesting. Um, what, what, what's the correct way to say this? He didn't make an announcement, but no. buried within a documentary that was released, uh, the Pope made some statements on same-sex civil unions. Very timely, I think, that, that we're getting this information now. I, I don't think there's necessarily this political play entirely a apply here but but what it does is it frees biden's stance who can remember we talked about the catholics and the diehard catholics or a couple main things that were really important to them of course we talked about abortion but also traditional marriage is one of the top issues for them the pope has kind of de-emphasized that by talking about being okay with civil unions um and support for lgbtq people and and how we love them and kind of changing the tone there. And I think that gives Biden room as well to take the stances that he does on on marriage equality within Catholic spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw there was some controversy because some people said that the Pope's words were translated incorrectly. But the translation mm -hmm. I saw, he said, homosexual people have the right to be in the family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. Uh, what we have to have is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. Now, he didn't say uh, official same-sex marriage was something right, that he approved no. of, but a civil union law. Uh, right. By the way, uh, Nate, Catholics are, are pretty strongly in favor of same-sex marriage uh, going all the way. The last uh, compilation of data from Gallup, just published actually on Gallup's website uh, this week from 2016 to 2020, showed 69% of U.S. Catholics said that uh, same-sex couples should be recognized by the law when they want to get married as having a valid marriage with the same rights as traditional marriages. So the Pope, in a way, is playing catch-up to where the U.S. Uh, oh. Catholic public stands at this point. In U.S., yes. He's threading a mm -hmm. needle because as one of the few denominations that is worldwide and for the rest of the world, that stance that he took was radically progressive, even if from the U.S. stance, we're like, well, why wouldn't he just say marriage? And he's threading a needle there, trying to hold the whole Catholic body together, but moving them in that direction. And that gives Biden space, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the train is kind of out of the station in the U.S., as you just yeah. intimated. 67% yeah. uh, in Gallup's last data of all Americans support same-sex marriage being legal. And I've seen a couple of other headlines from other people's polls over the last week or two showing record-setting high support for same-sex marriage. So as far as the U.S. public is concerned, that's kind of a done deal. Yeah. Well, the third one's interesting. Trump uh, has now declared that he is not a Presbyterian, as he originally confirmed that he was when he was younger. Um, but we knew he drifted away from mainline Presbyterianism some time, some time ago, but now is saying that he is a non-denominational Christian. Yeah, this was an interview with the Religious News Service, and it was done by email. And they made it clear that Paula White, does that name strike a bell with you? Yes, we talked about that. We talked yeah, about I'm bringing her, yeah. her up uh, for a reason. She is Trump's, uh, I think she's in the White House. She's his spiritual advisor of sorts. She probably has an official title. She is a non-denominational uh, evangelical preacher who preaches the prosperity gospel down in Florida. She's had some big churches down there and so on and so forth. She was the interlocutor who answered these questions in Trump's name. And mm. probably she has a real bias towards non-denominational churches. And I'm just guessing here she may have told Trump, you don't want to be a Presbyterian when you're trying to get the evangelical vote because they're seen as kind of to the left. Go ahead and say you're non-denominational. That'd be a more comfortable position for you. And that's what he agreed to. 
Right. So we don't have a lot of the ins and outs about how this went on morally within his head, but the stance change is is an important indicator of where his loyalties lie. That's right. Yeah, I'm speculating on the conversations between uh, Paula White, the Reverend Paula White, and uh, Trump, but that's uh, probably kind of what went on. Very interesting yeah. change, though, uh, right now, and that kind of fits into what we're going to be talking about at the end of the podcast, uh, based on what Micah read us for our quiz question today, and that is mm. the overall uh, frequency of religious identification for the presidents we've had going back to George Washington. But first, let's do our let's do our deep dive, and let's talk about. Uh, based on denominational affiliation, well, not denominational, but how we identify as evangelical or how strong we are in different categories of faith, and um, what are the policies that we deem to be most important? Yeah, this comes uh, in part from a new study that was published by the uh, Public Religious Research Institute, which is an interesting organization. They did a big study, and as part of that, they released the top three critical issues by the groups that you just mentioned, uh, white evangelical Protestants, Hispanic Protestants, and so on and so forth. And so we'll use that kind of as a framework to go through each of the religious segments in the U.S. population and see how they translate their religiosity uh, into issue concerns. And also, since we're a week before the election, uh, Nate, I thought it would be a good time for us to remind us of how big a segment that is in terms of what percent of the voting population these groups yep. are going to represent, these religious groups. And also, from everything we know now, based on 2016 and current polling, where we think their vote is going to go between Biden and Trump. All right. So let's start by talking about what the breakdown is, because we'll be referencing it. So we have the white evangelical Protestants. We have white uh, mainline Protestants. Mm -hmm. We have black Protestants. And then we have Hispanic Protestants. So the Protestants broken up into four categories there. Then we have white Catholics, Hispanic Catholics. So Catholics broken into two categories. Then we have other Christian. And then we have non-Christian religions. So Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam. And then we have unaffiliated. Those are the nuns that mm -hmm. we've been talking about, those who are not affiliated with any religion. So that's, that's our general breakdown. Mm -hmm. And in each of those, we can see, based on the study, what are the top three issues? Now, issues four and five are probably also very important to these people. We're only seeing the top three. Mm -hmm. But that lets us kind of see where the focus is for these different groups. Mm -hmm. based, based on this study by the uh, PRRI, which, and we appreciate they're doing this in-depth research. Let's start with right. white evangelical Protestants. Um, no question about how they're going to vote, Nate. We've talked about it so many different times on this podcast. Yep, they're going for Trump. Mm -hmm. They About 80% vote for Trump over Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Every bit of polling that I've seen more recently uh, isolates these same white evangelical Protestants, says it's going to be roughly the same, 75 to 80%. So it's not totally monolithic, but 80% is a pretty big number. I also estimate that they represent about 15 to 20% of the voting population, so a pretty sizable hunk of the voters there in white evangelical yeah. Protestants. What's number one on their list? Abortion. We've been mm -hmm. talking about this. We knew that this was going to be high, so it's interesting to see it as not just high, but number one issue for white evangelical Protestants. And it's interesting to note that that doesn't show up in the top three for any of the other categories. It's a complete outlier. Now, it might be issue four or five. We don't see that on the charts for some of these, but none of it doesn't break into the top three for any other religious category, including Catholics. Mm-hmm. 
That's very interesting, including Catholics. And then number two and number three is terms of being rated as critical issues in this PRRI study for white evangelical Protestants were the fairness of the election and terrorism. So those are kind of their big three. Now, fairness you know, of election, though, did show up in nearly everyone's top mm-hmm. three. So that was that was very prominent. But terrorism also didn't show up in anyone else's mm-hmm. top three. So they're, they're standing alone on two out of their three. Yeah, fairness of election, by the way, is what we call in polling a motherhood issue. Uh, when somebody reads that to you and says, is this critically important? They say yes. So that's one reason I think it shows up in a lot of these. It's very hard to say that's not a critical issue. But you're right, right. abortion and terrorism are two that stand out. You know, on, in terms of white evangelical Protestants, there was a headline this past week uh, in the Religious News Service where they said, poll colon, white evangelicals are religious outliers on every issue of concern to voters. And that got a lot of play. As I looked over news headlines, a lot of people picked that up. And that, in turn, is based on uh, an analysis of this same PRRI study. But the more I looked at it, the more I think that headline may be somewhat misleading, because there's other research which shows that although white evangelical Protestants are, in fact, outliers when it comes to abortion, and, and some other issues, they actually aren't that different from other groups of Americans based on their religious identity on things like immigration, higher taxes on the wealthy, uh, government aid to the poor, and uh, lowering the levels of carbon dioxide in the, in the atmosphere. So white evangelical Protestants certainly stand out on some issues, but I'm trying to make the point here, Nate, that they're not necessarily totally different than everybody else on, on every issue we can come up with. Right. And a lot of what we're seeing here is just a shift in priority, not a shift in concern at all. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that other people aren't concerned about it. It's just they put other things at slightly higher priorities, right? Yeah, no question. This group has probably been the most focused on, along with Catholics, which we're going to come to in a few minutes, uh, focused on religious group in this entire election. Uh, Evangelicals simply capture the headlines. It's a core group. And because Trump has spent so much time trying to appeal to this group over his last four years, and even now in his last uh, days of campaigning, they really have occupied the news. So it's a critical group uh, for this election. We don't have any question, as we just talked about, uh, about who they're going to vote for. We do have some question about turnout and what Trump, of course, hopes for, and Mike Pence, uh, the vice president, uh, hoped for a huge turnout among white evangelical Protestants, particularly in some key states, to push him, that is Trump, over the top. So what's also interesting about this is what's not on the list. And what's not in the top three for them is the coronavirus pandemic. And that is in the top three for literally every other group that we mentioned. And in most cases, in fact, all but two of them, it's the number one spot issue for every other religious group. It doesn't even show up Mm -hmm. in white evangelical Protestants' radar, or at least not in the top three. Not in the top three. Not in the top three. Um, And even those. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think that's the case? It's in the hands of God, not science. Let's say I don't. I don't know. I don't, it's but it. There is a lot of politicizing of the pandemic. That's right. Um, which is, I think it's it's a health issue. So that's unfortunate. But as with many things in election season, it's become an issue of politics. Yeah, these people, as we've been saying, are high high level supporters of Trump, and Trump, of course, is uh, part of his. Uh, positioning it, yeah. has been to downplay the uh, the, the impact of, of the virus. He continues to want to say, we're turning the corner, uh, we need to get the economy reopened, and so forth. So he's taking yeah. a different approach to this than, than a lot of other people, and, and white evangelical Protestants are picking up on that, obviously based on these data. Yeah, but the rest aren't, and that's that would be troubling mm-hmm. if I was Trump looking at this, saying that, that that message isn't sticking with every other religious group in this, in this study. 
Next group, white mainline Protestants. Um, they're about 12 to 18 percent of voters, based on my estimation, so roughly the same size as white evangelical Protestants. Their vote for Trump, uh, they actually, a majority of this group uh, voted for Trump in 2016, and the latest polling I saw shows that it looks like at least a slight majority will be voting for Trump this time as well. What are their top issues? Oh, well, we mentioned coronavirus, fairness mm-hmm. of election, so no surprises there. And their third one is crime. Yeah, crime's interesting to me. I'm not sure exactly why that shows up higher as a critical issue among white mainline Protestants, but as you say, it does. We know that this group does lean slightly towards Trump, and so seeing crime on the list does tie in also with Trump's other talk about being law and order president. He's really been leaning into law and order, especially in light of Black Lives Matter movements, and it might be that they're picking up on that when they say crime is important to me. So an interesting headline uh, this past week, U.S. election spotlight mostly bypasses mainline Protestants. So I think that's probably true. We analyze the news every week, Nate, and you just don't see a lot of focus, particularly compared to evangelicals and Catholics on mainline Protestants, but they're a big voting group. Well, let's talk about black Protestants then. How does it change? Well, black Protestants are probably a little under 10% of the U.S. uh, population in terms of voting. Uh, There's no question here, 90% plus will be voting for Biden. There's absolutely no wiggle room there. Uh, Black voters overwhelmingly go for the Democratic candidate in all uh, presidential elections for as far back, at least currently, that we have data. Top issues for black Protestants? Interestingly, same as with white Protestants, coronavirus, fairness of presidential election, except for one of them. No surprise for black Protestants, racial inequality shows up on the list. And that's interesting if my theory is right about crime being on white mainline lists because of uh, it being code for law and order. You, you can see the tension there where, where white mainline Protestants are saying crime, law and order, that's an issue. And black Protestants are saying racial inequality, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Two different sides of the coin based on race inequity and racial justice in this country. Uh, black Protestants obviously view that differently than maybe some other people do overall. Uh, President Trump was asked about uh, his relationship to black voters in the debate, and he continued to say, I am the best president, the least racist president since Abraham Lincoln. Is that what he said? I think I have that quote correctly. And what he mainly talks about, Nate, whenever you ask him about his relationship to black voters is unemployment. He continues to say that unemployment, which is true, I think, before the pandemic, unemployment rates among blacks had come down along with unemployment rates among other groups as well. And that's what he hangs his hat on. He doesn't, as we've been talking about, say much at all about uh, what we're seeing here in the data that a lot of black voters would talk about, and that is uh, racial injustice, police injustice, race inequity, systemic racism, and those types of things. So our last Protestant group is Hispanic Protestant. They're also quite different. They have crime as their number one, followed by healthcare and then the coronavirus pandemic. So if you blend healthcare and the coronavirus pandemic, is there very lots of overlap there? Um, you can see that that's big for them, followed by, and crime is up there as well. So that's the only other one to have crime on their mm-hmm. list of top three. I think that's about, very interesting. About 4% of voters, Hispanic Protestants is my estimate, and, and they break even uh, for Trump and Biden. Uh, we'll come back okay. to Hispanic Catholics, which is a larger group of Catholics in, in a moment. But in terms of Hispanic Protestants, uh, they break even between Trump and Biden based on my analysis. Well, let's talk about the Catholics then. So we got the white Catholics, their health care, mm-hmm. coronavirus pandemic. That's their number one and two slot tied, actually. Uh, and then their third slot is fairness for elections. 
We need to divide white Catholics. We've talked about it in previous episodes. Uh, overall, white Catholics are about 12% of voters, and they break about even for Trump over Biden when you combine them. But when you isolate very active white Catholics versus lapsed white Catholics, there's a huge difference, as you might imagine, mm. from everything we've talked about. So very religious white Catholics, much more strongly in terms of their potential vote for Trump. Uh, lapsed Catholics, those who still identify as Catholics but don't attend Mass very often, are much more likely to say they're voting for uh, Biden. So there's a split there, and a lot of that's been discussed in the news. We see a lot of headlines about, quote, split Catholic voters yeah, uh, because they're split uh, between Biden, for one thing, being a Catholic, and on the other hand, Biden being in favor of abortion rights. That causes the split uh, among Catholic voters, something that we've come back to again and again. So on the Hispanic Catholic votes, we see a shift. Coronavirus is still up there at the top. We have fairness of presidential elections is still there. And the third one is jobs and unemployment. And they're one of the only groups to list that as a key indicator, a key concern of theirs, which is interesting because President Trump has been leaning on that as the reason why he should have support Mm -hmm. for minority groups. This is the only group that says, yeah, that is a concern for us. Uh, And yet Hispanic Catholics are pretty strongly for Biden. Uh, Unlike, as we just said, Hispanic Protestants, which break even Trump versus Biden, two-thirds of Hispanic Catholics, based on polling I've seen, uh, potentially will vote for Biden. And they represent about 7% of all voters. The key with Hispanic Catholics is turnout. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're not as highly likely to turn out as other groups. So I think the Biden campaign in particular has been trying to reach out to Hispanic Catholics and trying to increase their turnout, uh, particularly in some states which are key swing states in this election. So other Christian is the next group, and that's a very interesting one because it's it's a grab bag. So I assume it's going to be kind of all over the place. It's not non-denominational because most of those end up in the white evangelical bucket. Mm-hmm. It's it's something else like, oh, I'm Christian, but I'm not affiliated with any denomination. Don't go to churches often, that sort of thing. Yeah, I saw uh, a headline on Jehovah's Witnesses. Ah, okay. Uh, they don't vote. Did you know that? Uh, I, I'm not. There are about 1.3 million Jehovah's Witnesses based on this analysis, and the headline said they'll be sitting out this election. I guess that's part of their uh, theological underpinning of Jehovah's Witness as a religion. Would they not be in the white evangelical Protestant group, though? Well, uh, I don't. Based that's on a good the question. It depends. You're, you're it depends how we break it up, right? <laughs> yeah. Depends how you break it up. If you measure just on a church attendance, of which they tend to be very high, mm-hmm. and devoutness, of which they intend to be also very high, you could say, well, they're, they're de- and they believe in um, proselytizing, evangelizing their their faith. Mm-hmm. Then you would say, well, yeah, they fit in there. But, but it, I guess it depends how you slice the cake. Yeah, but at any rate, apparently most of them won't vote if they most adhere of them to won't their, vote. Their, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other group we put here is is Mormons, uh, Latter Day mm, yes. Saints, and, and that again, some people would just put them in the Protestant category. Right. But for purposes of analysis, we can break them out. About two percent of voters, but they're a big percent of voters in a key state like Nevada and maybe a key state like Arizona, both potentially right. kind of swingish states. So Mormons could make a difference uh, in those states. Uh, they're typically very conservative. But we've seen a lot of headlines as we've talked about this over the weeks about uh, Mormons kind of uh, pulling away from President Trump, kind of like uh, Mormon leader Mitt Romney. So it's unclear exactly how high a percent of the Mormon vote Trump is going to get. So the key issues, just to keep that going, coronavirus pandemic, number one, fairness of the election, number two, health care, number three. So um, about consistent with many of the other ones, some some themes there keep coming back. Mm hmm. Non-Christian religious. So this is 
all the other groups kind of kind of lumped together, which isn't really fair because they tend, they, you know, they're not monolithic wow. by any means. Oh, but. absolutely not. You've got <laughs> Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, you know, a right. wide spectrum of, of groups. The common denominator is that they're all not Christian. Five or six percent of, of yeah, voting no. will, be, will be in this group. So the key issues, coronavirus pandemic number one, jobs and unemployment. So that's the other only other group to have jobs and unemployment there, as long as, the, as well as the Hispanic Catholics. And the third one, fairness of presidential elections. So some all themes groups, with a little bit of a twist. Yeah, That's right. And all these groups tonight go for Biden. Uh, there's a pretty heavy skew, including Jews, uh, Muslims, and everything we know says they're all going to go to Biden. Uh, there's some headlines about some new polling for American Jews in battleground states this past week. And again, uh, they prefer Biden over Trump by a wide margin. So uh, there the issue will be turnout rather than who they choose between Biden and Trump, it looks like. Right. And that leads us with nuns. The nuns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a listener say, nuns, do you mean N-U-N-S? We always, they always get confused. So we have to be very clear. Nuns are those who do not have an official religious identity. N-O-N-E-S. Okay. Right. And top issue, coronavirus pandemic. Second issue is health care. Again, there's a lot of overlap between those two, but those are the big issues. And their third one, and they're the only group to have this one, they're a bit of an outlier too, is climate change. The big turnout with nuns, excuse me, the big issue with nuns is turnout, Nate. Right. Uh, they are 20% or more of all voters, at least potentially. So they're a big group. Uh, but by definition, they're not as involved. They are nuns because they don't really have an active participation in religion. And I think the data show they also don't have as active a participation in the election process. Mm. So uh, they're going to go for Biden. Uh, past data show 60, 70 percent or more will vote for the Democratic candidate in the election. But Biden's issue here is to try to get them to turn out and vote. And that's pretty hard. How do you target nuns? Uh, they're a broad group, and they skew younger, though. So that's like, one key. They do they do skew younger. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. There we have it. A rundown. Uh, everybody's in one of those groups, I think, uh, in America. Maybe a few little outlier groups. So that's a pretty good run out of uh, rundown of of the issues that are important to these people, and their percentage of the vote, and how they're likely to vote uh, when okay. the dust settles, uh, and we count early voting and current voting next Tuesday, November third. A, a good overview, I think, as we head into the election, just to kind of bring all that religion together and say, now, where are they? Where's the issues? Where does it stand? So very grateful for that PRRI poll mm-hmm. that allowed us to see that data. Quiz. Let's see if Quiz. we get an answer. Micah? The first question is, how many U.S. presidents throughout history have had no formal religious affiliation or identity? And the second question is, what are the two most common religions of U.S. presidents? Now, let's take the second one first. What would be your gay, uh, guess, Nate? Christian. Well, that's true. But that's <laughs> Did I dodge the bullet there? <laughs> that's absolutely right. But I think we need to get a little more fine-tuned here into denominations. Uh, what uh, so if guess? we mean which denomination is the most mm-hmm. common to... Um, I want to, let's see, I'm going to guess Methodist might be one of them, and Episcopal. How am I doing? All right. Oh, let me just see. Micah, did you have a guess? I think Presbyterian. And the second denomination? I'm not sure. Okay. Well, well, the answer is Episcopalian, uh, because a lot of the early presidents were Episcopalians because a lot of Americans were Episcopalian. You know, that's kind of the denomination that was brought over from England. 
Uh, but according to this list, um, Washington uh, Episcopalian, but I'm going to come back to that in a minute because on the answer to our other question, he was considered not to have a religious identity. So he goes both ways. Washington, Madison, Monroe, William Henry Harrison, Tyler, uh, Taylor, John Tyler, Zachary Taylor, two different presidents, Franklin Pierce, Chester Arthur, Franklin Roosevelt, Gerald Ford, and George H.W. Bush. All were Episcopalians, and second was Presbyterian. Oh, According that was my camp, and I didn't yeah. get it. I thought That's I right. thought Methodist had edged us out. I knew Episcopalians were, were going to mm-hmm. be really up there because of the early history, but, but I thought Methodists had edged out Presbyterians. I was wrong. Yeah, no. Uh, actually, we have to. This list had Donald Trump listed as a Presbyterian. Ah. So we have to take him out based on what we just learned. But according to this listing, uh, Andrew Jackson, James Polk, James Buchanan, Grover Cleveland, who was president twice. He lost election, came back and won again, as we all remember. Benjamin Harrison, Woodrow Wilson, Dwight Eisenhower, Ronald Reagan, uh, all were Presbyterians. Then below that is Baptists, uh, including Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, and Bill Clinton recently, um, and, and some Unitarians. But there have only been three Methodists, according to this list, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, William McKinley, and George W. Bush. Bush, uh, this is Bush Jr., was raised as a... Episcopalian, as was his father, his senior, Bush Sr., but he became a Methodist. So there you have it overall. Now, in terms of that other question, um, it's confusing. Uh, the answer I had initially was that Washington, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, did not have religious, formal religious identity. And yet some of these people say, well, actually, George Washington was very religious in a lot of his pronouncements. He just didn't have a formal religious identity. So I think it's confusing how many presidents didn't have a formal religious identity, because then you try to get into, well, they may have been X, but were they really religious? So I think that's an ambiguous question that is very hard to answer. How's that for the other part of our quiz? Well, I was going to guess two, um, Mm -hmm. and really I was picking that number out of a hat. I knew it was low and figured probably not one or two. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the win on that one. Okay. By the way, I saw another list which listed the most religious presidents in history. And this was from a historian at Dartmouth, Dr. Mm -hmm. Randall Balmer, He's a historian of American religion, and he did list the most religious presidents. But just uh, I'll ask you, who did he put at the top of the list? The most religious president in history, according to Dr. Balmer of Dartmouth, was? To me, the one who stands out is Carter, but I, he might be going a little bit deeper back in history. No, you're right. According to Dr. Oh. Balmer, Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. the All most right. religious president in history. He also lists George W. Bush. Uh, I knew he was up there, but yeah, he had not been. He was had trouble with the alcohol early in his life, but he became very religious. And then William McKinley, James Madison, and then he lists Abraham Lincoln. Those are the most religious presidents in U.S. history, according to at least one historian, Doctor Randall Balmer of Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire. Well, that wraps up our podcast on our week here before the election, as we're heading into the final stretch towards the election next week. Because our normal scheduling will have us be putting it out on Election Day, we're going to instead do a real quick uh, just kind of recap review, check in how we're doing, um, and release that just before the election so we can kind of touch base before the actual day. And then uh, we'll be coming back for a wrap-up podcast the week after Mm -hmm. the election to review how it went down, how it shook down, and uh, kind of look back in hindsight where we were right and where we were wrong. And you're pretty optimistic there that we'll know the result a week after the election. I'm holding on to that. I'm holding (laughs) on to that. There are those who say if it's a close election, kind of like 2000 in the state of Florida, it'll be week after week as they're uh, trying to count all of the votes coming in in different ways this election. But it's a higher probability, I think, than 50-50 that we'll know the outcome a week after the election. Uh, But we'll see. 
We'll see. This has been great uh, to try to preview where we stand. Let's see if an October surprise comes up in this last week of the election or anything dramatic changes, uh, particularly in terms of religion and the election. You've been listening to Objective Religion. We appreciate your listening. This is our podcast where we look at the intersection of religion, society, and right now, election 2020. Our podcast is conducted and produced in partnership with Baylor University's Institute for Studies of Religion. I'm Dr. Frank Newport, sociologist and Gallup senior scientist. And I'm Reverend Nate Brantam, Presbyterian minister and campus minister at the University of Illinois. And I'm Michael Lambert, producer from Baylor ISR. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to leave us a message at 254-237-3298 with questions or comments, or send us an email at objectivereligionpodcast at gmail.com.